Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life for Abena podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. For the last two years, we've been journeying through Genesis as a community, delving into the origin stories and histories of our faith. In this series of Genesis, we step into the patriarchal families of Abraham and continue to see how both the promise of God is fulfilled, but also the brokenness of man. Ultimately, we see that even though we are the great promise breakers, he is the great promise keeper. We pray that this message is a blessing. Hey, New Life, it's so good to be with you tonight. My name's Anna, I'm one of the pastors here and I have the absolute privilege of continuing this series that we are in uh, where we're unpacking the stories that we find in the book of Genesis. Uh, It's a rather large book of the Bible and there's a lot of stories in it and so uh, it is quite fun to preach on but tonight's topic is a little bit heavier Um, but I think that tonight we're able to get real with each other and uh, normally preach like to warm you up with some great stories and kind of break the ice a little bit. Uh, But tonight we're going to go kind of straight in. I hope that's okay with you. Is that okay? Yes. All right. Um, So as I mentioned, we're we're walking through uh, this book of Genesis and it's beautiful because it's our first picture, if you open the Bible, of kind of what God does, what His character is like and how He interacts with people. And so we get this glimpse not only into these wild stories that happen, but also the nature and the character of God. And what I love is that I believe that even though their life looked immensely different from ours, uh, there's still some moments where I find myself in these pages and I'm able to uh, have their stories resonate in my heart. So my hope tonight as we unpack uh, the life of Joseph as we've continued uh, the last couple of weeks is that we have this moment where we can see uh, this this is going to hit deep for me. This is going to change the way that I see things and hopefully give me some perspective through God's lens tonight. And I want to start uh, by having you think about something, having you consider something, uh, considering a time where you found yourself in life thinking this wasn't how it was meant to be. This wasn't how it was meant to be. You might have uh, dreamed of becoming a nurse or a teacher or an electrician uh, at school and then you went on to study and apprentice for years. You did those countless hours of practical work uh, just to find yourself in that full-time job in the slog of it. I think you guys are leaning into week 10 teachers. We're we're praying for you. Um, And you're thinking, gosh, this wasn't how it was meant to be. Or maybe... You've worked for many years and uh, you've been dreaming of retirement. You've been dreaming of the day where you get to wake up with no stress. You get to wake up with all the freedom in the world and you get to do nothing. And retirement has come and you are busier than ever. And you are looking after the grandkids nonstop and you are thinking to yourself, this is not how it was meant to be. Or maybe you've dated someone and you dreamed of your lives together. Maybe you pictured uh, the future that you were going to have. And after a time and a wrestle, perhaps that relationship ended. And in the grief and in the confusion, you find yourself in a place of recognising, actually, this isn't how it was meant to be at all. Or generally, you've thought that life with God is supposed to be good. It's meant to be easy. It's meant to be happy all the time, things going right. 
And through recent trials and, and struggles and challenges, you've thought to yourself that this life with God, I, I didn't think it was meant to be like this. And sometimes there's that different reality, right, where we uh, have our expectations and our hopes and uh, what we think is going to happen clash with the reality. We find ourselves in this moment where we're wondering, God, I, I thought you said it was going to go this way. Why has it gone that way? And I would say that there's actually nothing more painful than having your aspirations and your expectations and your hopes they seem to be squished or they're diluted or they're broken. Not only is there nothing more painful, I don't think that there's anything that is more confusing. More confusing to our faith sometimes. How, how, does, how does this measure up? How does this work? And I think that we ask the question, we actually plea and we, we come before God and we say, God, where are you in all of this? Where is God in all of this? I thought you were supposed to be my saviour. I thought that you were supposed to be watching over me. I thought that you were supposed to love me. These are the questions and the wrestle that arises. It might not feel right or allowed to say those kind of things. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's what's going on in our hearts. We're asking the question, well, God, where are you? And thankfully, when we turn to the Bible, we're in great company because there's a lot of people's lives uh, who seem to have a lot of trial and there's times where it really sucks and they are crying out to God thinking, where are you? And I find that very comforting that if it's in the Bible, it feels like it's allowed. And uh, we're in this series you know, of Genesis and there's story after story of people's lives seemingly not going great. And tonight, my hope is that we have some uh, perspective shift. We are able to have some tools given to us where we can see God's goodness despite the challenge that is going on, despite the issues that may arise, despite what's happening in our lives at the moment that seems to be so painful. I hope that we're able to see God's goodness through it all. And so uh, you'll remember that a couple of weeks ago, or perhaps you're just joining us tonight for the first time, but we're at the point where Joseph has had the dreams. He, as a teenage boy, uh, had these dreams given to him by God. These are moments where he was shown his bright future. He was shown that he was going to rule over nations, that he was actually going to have his mom and his dad and his brothers all bow down to him. And unfortunately, as a teenage boy, no offence, but his Frontal, cortex, frontal lobe had not quite developed and he made some really dumb choices and he decided to verbally process that with his family. And obviously it didn't go down too well because his family got really annoyed and naturally his brothers decided to beat him near to death and throw him into a pit. Would not recommend you do that at home. But we have found that he is in this point where he's been given this bright future. He has such a, a hope for what is going to happen. But now he's been thrown out of his family. He's been sold into slavery in a foreign land. He's then had his boss's wife hit on him, accuse him of rape and then throw him into prison. Joseph's life is falling apart. And I can imagine he is in these moments thinking this is not at all how it was meant to be. God, you gave me a dream. You put a hope in my heart. 
You showed me something that was going to happen in the future and right now my experience looks nothing like that. I wonder if you can relate. Our story tonight, we kick off in chapter 40 and we hope that some good things are finally coming Joseph's way. I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's an awesome story. It's not going to be on the screens because it's way too long. But if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it, Genesis 40. Uh, Otherwise, you can just follow along as I read the story to you. It starts off with some really comforting and reassuring words, remembering that he is in prison. And it says this, Some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker and the king of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were de- dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, hey, why do you look so sad today? Oh, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to the Lord? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. Ah, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given him a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. Bum, bum, bum. What happens next? Can you imagine Joseph? He's in this place, he's in prison, and finally he gets a moment. Finally he's able to kind of do something that might win him favour, and yet he is still forgotten. 
the absolute sense of of suffering that is continued, maybe the hopelessness that he has. And there's, there's some things that I can imagine he are going through his head. There are some things that in times of suffering, we all wonder, like I mentioned, where is God? What is happening? Why is this happening to me? All these questions. And there's three things that I would love for us to uh, concentrate on tonight. Three things that I believe are very simple truths. They're not uh, super complex or smart or flashy but they're things that I hope that regardless of what you are walking through, they're three things that you will be able to cling to. Three things that if you remind yourself of because they are true, will sustain you through what you're walking through. And they're gonna be on the screen for you. They're three things. God is close. God is in control. And God will use this. Three things. God is close. God is in control. And God will use this. So the first one, God is close. You know, it's easy to read Joseph's story as this kind of rags to riches. When you skim over it quickly, you think that uh, it's actually a success story. He ends up being the prime minister of this land. He has so much influence. All seems to be going right for Joseph's life. And we forget chapters like this. We forget the hardship and we forget the suffering. And we can get the, the wrong impression that he actually had things all really easy and all right. But I believe that there's this first question that we normally ask when things start to go belly up is we say, where are you, God? Where is God? Our assumption is normally that if God is with us, then nothing bad can happen. And I just don't know where we get that assumption from. It's definitely not modelled to us in the Bible. It definitely wasn't how Jesus lived his life. Why do we think that when we follow God, everything's just going to be easy and fine? It's actually crazy that the, the human universal experience on this earth, unfortunately, is suffering. There's nothing else that every single person goes through. And so for us to think that we are void of that, I don't know why we have that perception and I don't believe that it is accurate. Jesus faced immense suffering. Why do we think that we will have it all free from that? And it's interesting that even though this story is actually this, this life of Joseph, we track it and it goes on for quite some time. When we ask the question, okay, God, well, where were you? There's two mentions of exactly where God was. There's two mentions in his story of God showing up and they're in places that we wouldn't expect. They're not when everything's going great. They're not when he's reigning as prime minister. It's not when he gets to uh, kind of re reconcile with his family, spoiler alerts. But the thing is, we see these moments where we're asking, well, God, where are you? And they're in the times when he is a slave and when he is in prison. We see in uh, the chapter right before this, chapter 39, Joseph was a slave. And it says in verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? How is he prospering as a slave? But God is with him. We see again, the second time is when Joseph is a prisoner. But while, this is uh, verse 20 to 21, it says, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour. Again, the circumstances don't seem too favourable. It doesn't seem like things are going well. And these moments, God is saying explicitly, 
I am with you. And so when we're walking through suffering, when things are going hard, when there's trials that we don't understand, and we're asking God the question, where are you? The truth is that He is very close, that He is with us. In the highs and the lows, but very much in the lows, God is with us. And it's not that it always stops what's happening. It's not that it gives us this get out of jail free card. No one laughed at that. (laughs) Joseph was in prison. That was just to wake you back up. Um, We're halfway through. And so it's not that God will just take us out of it, but it's that he will be with us in it. There's this beautiful uh, saying, and we see it multiple times in, in the Bible when people are in prison. It's not that God breaks people out of prison, but God breaks into prison. It's this place that there's nowhere that we can go to escape His presence. He will never leave us or forsake us, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of how dark it feels. God is close. It has been my experience that when we are suffering, when things are hard, when I've spoken to people who've walked through years and years of endless trial, they will say that God is very near. God is very near. Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft, they say this, God's initial solution to our hurt, it's His companionship. That's how He responds. He draws near. He offers His friendship. He offers His heart, His empathy. He comes towards us. God is close. They go on to tell this beautiful story about a father and a son. It's about a son who moves into a new bedroom, but it's in the attic. And the first night he is uncomfortable, he's scared. There are strange noises and it's all way too unfamiliar. And eventually to reassure him, his dad gives him a choice. He can switch on the main light and keep it on all night. Or he can switch the light off, but have his dad stay with him in the room. The boy goes for the second option. When it comes to comfort, he would rather have his father's presence in the darkness than his absence in the light. I think when it comes to trials, when it comes to challenges, when it comes to the things that we don't understand, I would opt for God's presence any day. I cling to that. I need to know that God is near. Psalm 23, I know it's it's pretty well known, but... uh, it's a, it's a beautiful psalm that has a lot of imagery and uh, there's a place of it where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or we could reread it and say that even when times don't make sense, even when I'm filled with anxiety because I, I can't comprehend, even when I'm scared, even when things are very dark, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. God's presence is what we need in times of trial. And secondly, it is also the reassurance that God is is in control. Not only is the one who is close to us present, He is also the one we trust because He is in control. The truth that God is in charge can often feel like a, a life jacket. It can keep us afloat. It can keep us from drowning. It can actually provide us with a a bit more perseverance to walk through what we're going through. But can I say that out out of all the points, I think that this one's almost the hardest to do. It's hard to trust God when we don't understand what's going on. 
it's hard in the midst of pain to recognise that God is still in control. I think it's, it's undoubtedly hard to ask because we, we, we beg with and plead with God and we say, well, God, why is this happening? If you're in control, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? Why is this the path that you've laid before me, God? I don't know if I have what it takes. The thought of God being in control is one that we have to uh, put into gear and we have to have faith in Him. When we don't understand, when we don't know what His intentions are, we need to know that He is the one who is in control, that He is in charge. Because when we're suffering, we can often feel like everything is out of control. Everything in my life is out of control. My mind is out of control. My relationships are out of control. My finances are out of control. Everything in my life is out of control. And the truth and the the solid ground that we can stand on to know that God is in charge and that He is in control and none of this surprises Him, but He's able to walk through it with us is very grounding. A.W. Tozer, he says this, nice and clear. God is in control. He may not always take away the storms of life, but He can always calm the storms that are within our hearts. This quote of Tozer's reminds me that there, is a, there can be a difference between what's happening in our world, in our circumstances, and what is happening in our hearts and in our minds. I believe that that is a gift of the Christian faith. That is the gift of having a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is that we are able to say, you know, I'm going okay in my heart and in my soul, even though my world is utter chaos. There can be this difference between our external and our internal. And there are so many moments, I think, in Joseph's story where we see that God's in control. And it may not be all going great, but we can see that God is positioning him in such places where he's able to use him extremely strategically. We see that Joseph is in prison and somehow, I don't get it, but somehow he's been made in charge of other prisoners. He's been given this favour where he reports to the, the chief, but then he's in charge of other prisoners. Why is that? How did he get that job? except that maybe they saw the integrity that was being formed in him that Mike spoke about last week. There's this sense of him, he's being, he's trustworthy. He has similar character traits to God as he's being matured and developed in him. And so he's being put in charge, but then also don't you find it's funny that there's these two prisoners and the way that God decides to speak to him is, uh, to speak to them is through dreams. I think Joseph's had a little bit of experience there in dreams. And thankfully now, he's not a teenage boy anymore. He actually knows how to deliver that content well and knows how to apply himself. And I believe that this idea that that God is strategically placing him helps us remember that God is the one who is in control. In verse 14, uh, we need to remember that even though Joseph seems to be doing all these things very admirably, he is still very human. And he says this, but when all goes well with you, hey, 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 remember me. Show kindness to me. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. He is still very human and longs and aches for justice. He longs to get out of this misery. He longs for it to end. 
And we can have this perspective that reassures us that even though God is uh, very close, He is also positioning us in a way that we can see His hand at work. He is in control. He has, Joseph, He has real feelings, as I mentioned. Again, I hate to break it to you, but chapter 41 starts off with some, some harsh words. It says, Now it happened to be at the end of two more full years. Two more years. As if Joseph hasn't had enough. Can you imagine his disappointment? Can you imagine the wrestle that's going on in him? Hey God, I know that you're working on my character and I know I'm seeing glimpses of you at work, but can't you be done? Isn't isn't it up? I've, I've, I've learnt lots, I've grown, I've been able to influence many people in prison. My, my character's being refined, but I just want to get out of here. I don't know if I have what it takes anymore. He's got two more years in this place. And suffering and trials can seem to be relentless. And my heart goes out to you who are here tonight, who feel like you're in a place where it, it seems like you've still got a while to go, but you're longing to get out of it. It's in this place that I want to reassure you, even though we don't get it, even though we might not be able to see it, God is in control and He will use it. He will use it for good. The third point is simply God will use this. I've been, uh, when I was growing up, I had this, uh, I guess this catchphrase that my dad would always say to me that drove me insane. It's so true and it's something beautiful and I can imagine it's something I'll say to my kids. But he used to say to me whenever I would say like, oh, this happened and it sucked or I don't understand or this isn't fair and, you know, I would be wrestling with the things of life. He would always turn to me and he would always say, well, Anna, you know, it's character building. I said, I don't care about my character. (laughs) But it's right, hey? When things are tough, that's when we actually develop our character. It's not in the easy things where everything's going smoothly, that we're refined and that we're stretched and that we're challenged. It's, it's, It's in the trials, it's in the suffering. It's when things aren't great that that's where our character and our perseverance is developed. And we see that Joseph as Michael talked about his integrity being grown and developed over years, we see that he is able to have more of God's perspective in things. We're able to see that perhaps one day this will be used for good. Can you imagine him thinking, God, why did you give me those dreams all those years ago if you weren't gonna do anything with it? And then, hello, these, these prisoners have dreams. And he's like, oh, God, God maybe did use that for good now. And I was sitting with someone uh, last week and they're going through immense suffering, things that I can't even imagine having to pursue and having to walk through. And it was in that moment that they said to me, Anna, I just, I know and I hope that God will one day use this to help someone else. And I was both inspired and also deeply moved that someone would have that measure of hope, even in such dire circumstances. Even when there's no real human reason to have hope, they were saying, 
you know what, if nothing else, I hope God uses this one day. I know He will for someone else. And when we're going through suffering, that's something that, that's a gift actually, to have that hope, to think that one day God will work things together for good. It's, it's a verse that I think is hard to stomach when you're walking through trial. It's hard to see how God will ever use it to go, for good. And I love to put in brackets in that verse to say, somehow and at some time, God will use this for good for those who hope and believe in Him. So it's, it's something that pulls us forward. It's something that helps lift us out of time of trial to say that He will use this. God will use this and it will be for good because that is who He is. Joseph is a great example of perseverance. He's a great example of someone who walks through suffering well. But hey, we've got an even better example. And the life of Jesus was not one without suffering. Gosh, he had suffering that, only, that we could only even imagine. And, and he, through his suffering, had perspective of a purpose. He knew that God would be using this for good. He knew that in the midst of such pain that God was working His purposes and His plan out. Jesus could see purpose where others only saw meaningless suffering. When He was on the cross, they said, hey, if you're King of the Jews, if you're all that you say that you are, if you actually are the Son of God, why don't you just get out of there? Why don't you just let yourself free? Why go through this pain? Come on, if you're God, get out of it. But the thing is, Jesus had a purpose. He had a better perspective. He knew. In Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I asked the question, well, what was the joy that Jesus saw? What was this joy that was set before Him that meant that He was willing to endure the the cross? What was this joy? It's astonishing, but it was you and it was me. That was the joy that was set before him. The hope that in in suffering on the cross, he was making things right for you and I to have relationship with the Father. There was a sense that in this moment, he had great purpose, great perspective. He knew that the Father was close to him. He knew that God was in control even through the pain. And he knew that God was working that moment, the darkest day in history, that moment he was working together for good. Jesus is a perfect example of someone who knows what it means to suffer, but who suffers well. And that means that we worship a God who is not above suffering, not above the human experience, but one who tangibly knows what it feels like one who is able to empathise through our weaknesses and through our suffering. He is the one who comes alongside us. Many of us can be pretty overwhelmed by pain, can be pretty overwhelmed when things are going awry, when we don't understand, when we don't have what it takes. We can feel completely undone. But these promises when we're asking the question, God, where are you? He says, I'm right here. 
when we're asking what is going on, we can trust that He is in control. And when we think what is the point of all this, we can have the hope to think that God is going to use this and is going to use it for good because that's who He is. Three truths that I hope and believe and pray will meet you where you are at tonight. And I was sharing with the team as I close and invite the band up. I was sharing with the team before uh, tonight's service, just saying that sometimes when I'm preparing these messages that are on suffering, I think, well, this is helpful for people to have, you know, in their back pocket for a time when they're walking through suffering. That this is like handy advice. These are tools in your belt to be able to apply when things get tough. And for, for some of you in the room, maybe that's your reality. That, that these words, I hope, will, will go down into your heart so that you're able to remember them at a time when things are really hard. But I had an over, overwhelming sense as I was preparing this week that this isn't for another rainy day for a lot of you. That this is for right now. It is your reality at the moment that life is extremely hard and that what you're walking through seems relentless and that you're in a place where you are feeling at the end of your tether and you don't know what is next. And you're not sure where God is in all of this. And so tonight, uh, sensing that that's actually where a lot of you might be at, that life is extremely hard at the moment. Uh, I'd love to just be able to spend some time and to allow God to do some healing in our hearts, but also for God to give us a sense of, of stamina and perseverance to be able to continue to walk through it. But to walk through it knowing that you're not alone, that you're not in the darkness, but that He's here and that He's with you and He's able to help you to persevere. So I'm just going to spend some time. I'm just going to wait. As Jason was saying earlier, I'm just going to wait um, with the Holy Spirit and just see what He's sensing. And uh, if this is new to you, basically uh, the band's just going to play behind me. I'm not going to say anything and we're just going to listen. And I'll just see what the Lord seems to be saying and kind of direct us from there. So I'm just going to say a quick prayer and then we'll have a time of waiting. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, my words can only go so far. It is what your Spirit does with them that changes lives. So come and speak to us now. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.